I am the face of the event, but my greatest hope is that someone in the audience goes, can you connect me to that speaker? Can you connect me to that investor? Can you connect me to my next potential partner? Because I think I got something that's going to work. Our ever-changing world calls upon the most courageous, resilient, and relentless of us to face its most extraordinary challenges. To help you embark on this journey, we present the Impactful Coaching Podcast, your oasis for inspiration and a beacon to spark the fires of greatness within you. I'm Joseph. I will be your ally in this journey to empower your potential. Join us each week as we dive deep into the heart of ambition, drive, and success to unravel compelling stories of daring leaders who dreamed, struggled, and achieved victory. Our journey begins now. All right, everybody, this is the Impactful Coaching Podcast. I'm here with Dan Ram. Dan, I always take some time to learn a little bit about my guests so I don't come into these blind, and I have to say it really means a lot to have this hour to, to share with you and to learn what I can, and if possible, maybe uh, provide some value to you as well. So first of all, this isn't question one. This isn't question zero. This is question negative one. How, do you, how are you doing today? How are you feeling? With that kind of introduction, so pumped, man. So excited. Look, I'm all about conversations and dialogue. This is mutual, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a one-way conversation. In fact, this is a multiple-way conversation because we have an amazing audience tuning in. So whoever you are, wherever in the world you are, welcome to the conversation. Uh, settle in, get a nice drink, and I hope that you will find something that will push you forward in your life because ultimately that's what excites me. How am I? Um, hot. I'm currently in 45 degree Celsius Abu Dhabi, United Arab Emirates. It's one of four places that I call home. Mm-hmm. And I feel rested. I'm just done from a a 13-week speaking tour around the world. Uh, And I feel in a place of incredible optimism for what the second half of the year is going to look like, despite the uncertainties that are in the market. So that's the mix of emotions I feel right now. On on today's recording day, I, I like to check in on what's going on on TikTok for about 10 to 15 minutes each day. And apparently there's aliens. So the U.S. government just came out and said, yeah, there's aliens. I'm like, yeah, yeah, the U.S. government. Sure. That's the people I'm going to believe on extraterrestrials. Sure. But but tell me, why do the aliens only visit the U.S.? Because you don't see Ghana reporting aliens. You don't see Australia reporting aliens. Uh, even India, why why are aliens obsessed with visiting the U.S.? We assume that the aliens are smart, right? And I think the aliens understand that the U.S. is the most sensationalized country on the planet, and they have the high, the most firepower when it comes to media influence. So I think for them, I, we don't know how much they have in the way of resources. So they figure, look, if we if we land in Paraguay, we're not getting that much reach. So let's go land somewhere in the states. They'll they'll spread the message worldwide. And sure enough. That's what happened. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Got it. So that's what TikTok told you. Nice. Yeah. I'm not 100% on board, but I've always believed that there's definitely something else out there. Uh, I don't know if it's ever going to be as physical as like, oh, yeah, little floating objects in the sky. Now you get into like DMT and extraterrestrials and spirituality. There's there's so much there. I wasn't really depending on unpacking it, but that's just what makes today, 727, 2023, unique. Just a little bit of uh, humility on my part, and then I'm going to shift gears uh, in my head is this oh. is not an ego thing. This is just like a technical thing. But uh, our people reached out to your people to uh, connect the podcast. And he said, uh, use this booking form here. And I thought, I am always worried about things like 
kind of getting lost in, in message. So I said, do you guys mind using our Calendly link? And um, he's obviously very busy, so he didn't respond. And then I go on to the website, and the next day I'm like, okay, yeah, no, they don't have the time to use our Calendly link. Like, let's, let's use his booking page. So oh. as a starting point, when did you get to that point where you, know, you, you really didn't need other people to work alongside you to help manage your time and make sure that you know, you're not the only person keeping your week from uh, getting out of hand? Sheesh, what a great question. I've not been asked that question before, so I love that question. Right. So let, let's unpack this in real time together. First, my career is accidental. I did not walk into this with a blueprint for success. Second, I'm learning as I'm going. I'm hyper observant, uh, hyper aware, and have no qualms with being the student in the room. Third, I can only describe my trajectory as exponential. For someone who does not know me, and I don't expect you to know me, until six years ago, I was doing other things. You know, I was an advisor to the prime minister. I was building companies. Uh, I was a consultant, uh, radio presenter. I was doing a whole bunch of stuff, working for the UN, working for KPMG. And six years ago, I accidentally became an MC, an event MC and moderator, a career I'm unfamiliar with, and no one in my family are freelancers or entrepreneurs, so whole new space. And I started with an event, which is how things start. And that year, I did four. The year after, I did 22. So that's almost two a month, which is ridiculous from one a quarter mm -hmm. to two a month. And for the last three years, I have consistently done 100 events a year. Uh, and I do 100 because that's me maxed out, right? You mm -hmm. do the math on it. I'm doing about two to three events per week. And given that I'm working on four continents, that's a flight every three days. So these are the, the context within which I am going to answer this question. I built a team during the pandemic because for the first time, I had a chance for a slowdown. One thing I've learned is that every season of life is important. It's not just the growth phases. It's also the times you got to pull back. I mean, this podcast, I believe, was birthed during the pandemic. It was a chance for you to go, you know what? I got a network. I got uh, conversations I can have with people. And it's given you some new avenues, new opportunities, new partnerships. So whatever happens in life to you, you can work for you, right? Um, and so I love that the pandemic was a chance for me to go, what are my structures? And I realized I don't have any. I'm like making it up as I go. And said, okay, let's start putting this down. And I started with basic stuff, databases, right? Who are all the speakers I'm introducing on stage? Who are all the events I'm working with? And just listing those. Then it became about creating systems, for example, a booking calendar. And even within my crew processes, like who answers what and when and everything else. So I'm making it up as I go. I'm watching what other people do. And I'm capitalizing on opportunities. Sometimes you build during growth phases. Sometimes you build during pause phases, but always be building. Uh, that is what I say. And so the pandemic was the opportunity. It wasn't so much that my work created the opportunity. It was just that the global slowdown made me go, oh, okay, what can, I, what can I do? And I thought, this is it. And we're now at that beautiful space, Joseph, where I am seeing growth happen because of the platform built. Because trust me, when you're growing and you build foundation, it sometimes feels like you're going backwards, like you're slowing things down. So for me to answer your email would have been way faster than for me to put it through a process. But this week alone, I'm doing three podcasts. And yeah. trust me, I would not have been able to sign up to three and have the headspace to do three, except that I've got a team locking these in for me. So yeah, 
that's a whole lot of stuff for that first question. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate it. And just to uh, uh, clarify the record a little bit, I started doing B2B interviewing at the onset of the pandemic, but this particular show is a little bit more new. This show is about three to four months old. So it there there are there have been some through lines throughout the, the three programs that I've been on so far. I mean, I'm the same person from show to show, but obviously the context changes uh, also from show to show. So but just a little bit of a thing about that. Now, what you said was that you always want to be the learner in the room. And I know this is one of your philosophies is that you really like the idea of being the number two person. Uh, you don't always yeah. necessarily want to be the number one person. Sometimes you want to be the second in command, the, the, the person who's whispering in the king's ear. There's a lot of different variations of that. So being... Uh, Dan Ram and, ha- and being the, the figurehead of your own brand, where are you finding opportunities to still be the, the, the second in command for others? All through my 20s, my last decade, um, I enjoyed success not because of my own efforts, but because of an incredible community that pushed me, encouraged me, supported me, believed in me, inspired me. And I'm so grateful because I actually don't think I had it in me on my own. Uh, But they painted a picture of me that was better than myself. And almost for their sake, I became that person. I grew into the fullest version of myself. I realized the power of being number two because I benefited from all of those number twos pushing me forward. And when I started hearing horror stories of entrepreneurs, freelancers, coaches, founders who feel like they got their back against the wall, that they are dealing with hate and naysayers and people who don't believe in them, it actually broke my heart because it's the exact opposite experience of what I've had. And that was a moment that I got, okay, I can keep building. I can build another business and build another team. I probably can have more impact in the world if I just became number two, if I stood alongside the greatest leaders, greatest coaches, the people with the most aspiration, most potential, and help them build their empires. And because I had experienced sufficient success that I didn't need to keep hunting or be greedy for more, uh, I was able to make that mental shift from going, I want to be number two from now on. Mm -hmm. And so actually what I do, Joseph, like my greatest hope from this podcast is to say something that triggers someone to write to me and say, help me down. I think that word was spoken for me. And that's when I lock into number two. When I'm hosting an event, sure, I am the face of the event, but my greatest hope is that someone in the audience goes, can you connect me to that speaker? Can you connect me to that investor? Can you connect me to my next potential partner? Because I think I got something that's gonna work. Mm -hmm. And so everything that has my face on it is actually the bridge. It's not the destination. The destination is what happens after. So this podcast, uh, a classroom where I'm lecturing, a coaching session that I'm doing, a workshop that I'm hosting, an event that I'm leading, a keynote that I'm giving, it's all with the hope that some beautiful soul who comes up to me and goes, I could really use your help. And that's where number two locks in. I go to bed fulfilled on the days that I am number two more than number one, because number one is just planting the seed, Mm -hmm. right? Those moments. So that's the distinction there. If you ask anything of people, what do you ask of people if they're gonna come to you and ask for your help? Oh, total commitment to making the dreams come true. The one thing I cannot teach is your passion. I cannot teach you passion. But everything else I can. My motto is start now, start simple. What most people struggle with when they have a dream 
is clarity on how to start in achieving that dream. Once you got momentum, once you got flow, you can keep going. But how do you, you know, start with doing something that feels insurmountable? And I, for some reason, seem to have incredible clarity in helping people start. And so all I need is their deep down inner true authentic passion to make it happen. Even self-belief I don't require because I'm pretty motivating and inspiring in the way I communicate. So I can I can instill self-belief. I can instill confidence. I can instill soft skills. I can instill and give you the hard skills required to achieve your goals. But the one thing I cannot give you is the desire when you wake up in the morning to actually do what you were made to do on this planet. Mm -hmm. That desire is yours and that I cannot give to you because then you're just imitating at best and copying at best. Um, so that's actually the only condition is you wake up and want your dream enough that you will do and pursue the steps that we talk about together. One condition. Mm -hmm. the, the next question that I have chambered is a part of your backstory. But before we do that, there's a particular piece of media that's been floating around in my head. Are you um, by any chance like an anime guy or cartoon guy or anything along those lines? Unfortunately not, but do tell me. Okay. So yeah, someone is going to be like, Joseph, of all the things you talked about on this episode. Anyways, um, so there is an anime called One Punch Man, and it's it's a parody, but it's a very like respectful parody of the idea of the Superman, where the lead character, he's his powers are comparable to Superman, and he essentially he beats all his uh, enemies in one punch. He's just overpowered. And so the, sh the premise of the show is that he's bored and he doesn't really know what to, to do with his life. And someone else who's part cyborg, who's he has a, the reason why he's part cyborg is because it's this metaphor of always trying to get better, of always trying to improve. But he, no matter how much he improves himself, he's not going to reach the level of the main character is Saitama, but he's, but he's still trying his best. And just this, the, the idea of like the number one, and the number two is because the number one is sort of fighting at a scale that is really only his responsibility. Whereas uh, Genos, the cyborg character, he's, he's loved by the people. He's, he's considered a hero. He's more knowledgeable of the other heroes of the world because there's a union for it. So that's just the, the picture that I painted in my mind is understanding that people who are in the role of Superman are fighting a battle that only they can handle. And uh, if there's any media or whether it's a comic book or a TV show or a film that you've seen, does any media stick out to you that you relate to in terms of your relationship to helping others? That's a good question. Thank you. Also, I need to look up this anime that you're It's hilarious. To. Like, it, yeah. <laughs> um, so, the, okay, I do have an answer to this, but I don't know if you'd categorize this under media. I am a person of faith. Mm -hmm. I have grown up in the church, although it was probably not until 15 where I actually owned it for myself. I think like a lot of kids, I just followed my parents into it. Yeah, same. But there were certain situations and circumstances that at 15 made me go, oh, no, this stuff is real. Like, this is mine. This is my faith. So for sure, the character of Jesus, but also the many characters in the Bible because of how real they are, I mean, warts and all, these are not supernatural characters. These are very everyday leaders. And the Bible mysteriously presents both their flaws as well as what they're good at. Uh, I have drawn so much inspiration from them. I've learned so much leadership from a character called Nehemiah, 
um, and also someone called Daniel. I mean, that's who I'm named after. Mm-hmm. And I've learned so much about not giving up from a character called Joseph, you know, mm-hmm. who, who ends up in it and in jail and then goes to second in command of uh, a foreign country. So there's all these amazing characters that, I mean, are in probably one of the longest standing historical books in the world today. Um, so, yeah, that, I would say that has been a great source of inspiration. As far as like modeling this attitude of giving and being number two, I would probably draw that to Jesus um, because uh, there is something about this person that is uh, supernatural, able to do accomplish so much, and yet has a level of humility and a servant heart and putting others first that is just actually does not make sense in the modern world that we live in today. Uh, because those who rise in fame and with platform often have others serving them. And Jesus regularly flips it around. And as he's going up the ranks, he goes, you know what, disciples, I'm going to wash your feet. And they're like, what the heck are you doing? It's our job to wash the teacher's feet. And he's like, Mm-mm, not in my kingdom. And there's something about this flipping around that I actually love. I love being different, right? So if you ever watch me on stage or an event, I'm wearing an Indian outfit. Everybody else is wearing a suit and I'm wearing an Indian outfit. Why? Just flipping the table. Just want to do things differently. When everybody else sees success as maybe economic or financial, I'm like, you know what? Why, why isn't it about the number of lives you're blessing? Um, I would like to measure my life by the number of people whose lives have been positively impacted rather than the size of the bank account. Let's flip the table on that. Um, pretty much everything I do, like honestly, Joseph, give me a song. And I'll be like, that's really nice the way that Justin Bieber sang it or Sam Smith sang it, but it's going to be my spin on it. Like this is how I'm going to make the song mine. And I feel like Jesus does that in the Bible where he goes, okay, there's an expectation of what a God should be like. I'm just going to flip the table around. I'm going to show you the kind of God that I am. So sorry to go down a spiritual route. This is, is kind of my truth on it. It's, my, it's how I perceive the world. And everybody's got one of those people. But I think the reason I give and serve and, and model is I just want to flip it around. Uh, I, I, want to, I want to change the scorecard a little bit. I don't mind getting into spiritual territory. I have my own relationship i was born and raised in the catholic church and and i think a lot of people there's a certain fallout point where we're confronted with something about the bible or about god that makes us question our faith for me of all things it was pulp fiction and that uh, samuel jackson was quoting a, a passage from the bible not word for word but the sentiment was the same wow god really picked off a lot of people didn't he and that to me it was like the Catholic Church didn't talk about this. Like, okay, they they mentioned the Noah's Ark, but they do it in a cartoonish way, where it's just it's a it's a flood, right? Uh, all the animals. Think of the about the animals. Forget about all the humans yeah. that died. So, it, it took me about a year before I I had to find my own way back into faith, and rather than have the institution impart that faith onto me. So I do I do relate to that. I definitely appreciate the. Uh, the, the relationship with Jesus as like as a servant figure, someone who could, with the powers at his disposal, definitely not be in that position, but chooses to do that because that's the the right thing to do. And I just want to share this because I think you might find this interesting, and then I'll move on. I, I had this because I my aspiration is to be a writer, and so one interpretation of the story of Jesus is that because um, adultery would have been basically a death sentence at the time rather than Mary 
committed to uh, death, probably uh, by stoning, Joseph sacrifices his uh, reputation, and and they both agree you know, this was an immac- this was immaculate. This is this is God planting a, a seed inside of me, and everyone believes it. And so Jesus now has to live this life where like he. Everyone believes that he's the the son of God, but the whole thing was based off trying to protect themselves from a society that otherwise would have persecuted them. So it's it's a different way that I would like to tell the story, but I wouldn't do it unless I could impart the same meanings and teachings. Yeah. And, you know, and, and this is one of the beautiful things about uh, text is old. And for some, I mean, like someone like you, who's clearly a thinker, someone who uh, spends time processing information, not just uh, taking what just heard and repeating it. Mm-hmm. Um is uh, old text, the Bible in particular, is so open to interpretation. And that's actually the right way to deal with that that kind of text. And I love that uh, you've taken the time over the years and hopefully will continue to do so to, to say, what do those stories really mean to you? How does it apply? As with anything, like even those listening to the podcast, I am never going to give you a three-part formula to success. You just got to listen to the story and go, okay, what part of this applies to me? What's relevant? What would I do differently? What would I do the same? So I like it. Let's let's all be more switched on and, and keep our minds open and hearts open to learning and growing together. I appreciate it. All right. So this is this is part of your your backstory. I listened to your most recent, at least as far as what's published on your website, the Hundred K Journey podcast, and you graduated during a recession, uh, which I believe would have been the two thousand eight recession. Ever. We're I going through two okay. sessions, man. Yeah, two of them. I mean, yeah. uh, economics from Yale in 2008, and then my MBA in 2011. So, yeah, both bad times. Mm-hmm. So, you did something that uh, I can relate to, whereas you decided you were just going to start your own job from scratch. And yeah. you know, considering how attractive having a job can be because yeah. of the stability and, and the safety, I'll tell you how how this went for me, and then I'll ask you the question. So, I, for me, the 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 switch flipped. It wasn't because like I was bad at the job because some some jobs that I've had I would butt heads with management. Some of them I just knew I wasn't the right fit. Um, but this one really got under my skin because I was doing good, right? I was serving the customers well. Mm. I was hitting my my goals. I was trusted as a, as a key holder. And then a district manager, a new district manager, comes in and just wanted to clean the palette. Just wanted to wipe the store of its of its history. And so me and my manager, we were both uh, axed on the same day. And that's where I, I, I really gave up on that idea because like, well, what the hell? I'm, I'm good at the job and I still lose it. So I've, for me, I was just like, okay, now I've had it. I'm just going to, I'm going to have better luck making one up from scratch. And that's what got me into podcasting. So yeah. there, for me, it was a matter of like, yeah, oh, oh, jobs are very attractive. I just can't get them. So hey, what else am I going to do? I got I to make it my own. What was your what was ingrained in your psychology at your time that made you decide you got to do this your own way? Mm. Actually, pretty similar to what you shared. Uh, mine was out of necessity. You know, at some point when you don't have a job, you start running out of money, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, that checks out. And, and for me, I was unemployed for a period of eighteen months. Um, 18 months without any concept of social security or any kind of social protection. So there was no government checks or nothing. There was no support, uh, nothing coming from anywhere. Uh, 18 months in a foreign country, so struggling with visas and immigration, all of that. But most importantly, 18 months, I guess, just doubting myself because despite all your accolades and accomplishments, you start thinking, am I really broken or am I incapable of offering value? 
it really affects you uh, internally. It actually got so bad that my mom and my sister flew over to Ireland just to encourage me because they just saw that I wasn't leaving the house, I wasn't shaving, I was gaining weight like crazy. Actually, at some point, the, the light bulb switched on, which is essentially along the lines of, even if everyone says no, I got to say yes to myself. Like, that's where it begins. And it seems really trivial, Joseph, mm-hmm. but when you have a yes spirit, things start shifting. Every story has two sides to it. Uh, yes, there was a story, which is Dan is a foreigner on a tiny island that is in a recession, which means the odds are against me. But the other side of the story is Dan is unique in a small space where entering the market should actually be easier and has a potential to be part of the change that this country desperately needs. And I won't tell you the whole story, but I went from being unemployed to becoming an advisor to the prime minister. So literally, I was brought into a position because I had a unique perspective, because they did notice me because it was small. And because it's a small country, I went from like no government background to being an advisor. And I was one of the seven people that signed the national policy in entrepreneurship. So we literally shifted the country. And I'm a very ordinary person, Joseph. The only difference was I'm applying for consulting and all these things, no. And I just keep applying for consulting jobs and they keep saying no. And that's all I saw until the day I said, who's saying yes to me? And it was the most unlikely of places, a friend of mine who's a teacher at a school, and she's like, hey, Dan, can you volunteer sometime? And I said, yes. And that's how it went. So for me, it was out of necessity. I needed money. Second, it was a change in my attitude, focusing on the yes rather than the no. And I come back to this phrase, start now, start simple. Honestly, Joseph, you cannot underestimate or undermine an opportunity because you never know where it's going. I don't know who's listening to the podcast, but my next big break could be someone listening to this podcast. It could be. During the pandemic, when my entire brand and my career ended again, now due to you know global uh, issues, uh, it was exactly that. You know, A friend of mine uh, said, hey, Dan, let's jump on a podcast. Let's talk about the event industry. And in there, he said, how do you think companies will deal with the pandemic? And I came up with some ideas. The next call was from Hewlett Packard Enterprises, one of the biggest tech companies in the world. And they, for some reason, listened to a podcast and they said, we liked your ideas. I'm like, hold on a second. Me, an MC who came up with some ideas as to how we do this. The big, one of the biggest tech companies in the world likes my tech ideas. And I said, yeah, we got to work with you. And, and then for the rest of the pandemic, we built their first ever virtual conferences, virtual events, virtual gatherings, virtual platforms, immersive spaces. It was mind-blowing, but it's just, I could never have predicted that from that podcast. Never. So don't undermine and don't underestimate an opportunity. Just start. I told you, and I confessed at the beginning of the podcast, my career was accidental. Mm-hmm. Being an MC happened because someone said, can you host a stage? Same with coaching, right? I have a pretty ridiculous career right now coaching founders, CEOs, presidents, athletes, musicians. It doesn't even make sense to me, uh, my clientele. But it happened because, you know, coaching started from mentoring, right? Um, When I was even in high school uh, as a 14-year-old, really good at math, I remember a Japanese student, only because of a language barrier, was behind in math. And he was a good friend of mine. And he said, can you help me? I said, yes. And I started teaching him what I had just learned in class. 
not only did it make me much better at math, but it brought him up to speed. It started off there just with a, a heart to help. And over the years, it has grown. So when someone in my youth group said, Dan, I have this issue. Can you help me with it? I already had it in my spirit of like, absolutely, I can. And then it just kept growing. And so eventually, one of the biggest pop stars in the world goes, hey, Dan, I'm really struggling in my morning routines and my productivity and my efficiency. And you just seem to be on the go all the time. Like, how do you how do you manage your emotions? <laughs> At that point, I had so many years of loving people, right? Because that's where it starts with coaching, like loving people and then structuring growth and paying attention, really listening, all the nuances of what makes a good coach. I had years of it. To this day, I do not have a degree in coaching. To this day, I don't have a license or a certification. I'm not associated with any school. It is just years and years of doing this until that, what you consider a lucky break that seems insignificant. But... That's how it happens. So everything that I've built has been bootstrapped as a company. And all the things I do now have actually started in bad situations. But I'm a fervent believer that that is fertile ground for growth because you have, you have little to lose. You know, right now in your career, Joseph, or in mine, you say, actually, let's completely switch and we're going to be window cleaners. Right. We have a lot to lose. You've yeah. got a podcast, I've got an MC and coaching situation. But when you've already lost the event world and it's broken, it's not coming back, and someone says, why don't you try a Facebook Live and you have six viewers, you go, well, that's better than not doing anything. So let's start with six. And then it just keeps growing. So that's my two cents on how those moments of recession were actually so beautiful. But it does start inside. You have to see it as an opportunity. And just to briefly, another way that I've noticed this relation in the past, because one of the other projects that I've been involved with is in the Web3 space, the metaverse space, mm -hmm. touches a lot on cryptocurrency and NFTs, and it they're in, there's the bull market and there's the bear market. And from a from a calculating point of view, the idea of the bear market is well, everything is just losing, but all of the passionate people are the people who are active during the bear markets, the ones active during the recession, because they realize this doesn't last forever. There's going to be a boon after the next bust. And it's just a matter of building, but it's also a matter of protecting sure. and, and supporting for, for one another. So that's what I appreciate about getting in on a bear market is the ideal time to get in, not during the bull rush. That's when all of the, the day traders come in and they, they're just looking to capitalize on what's going on. They're not really there for the for the long term and that's just one relation out of, out of hundreds that uh that can come up um but since we started talking about coaching so and this is the impactful coaching podcast you work with presidents of kind well, of countries but also major companies um yeah. so and this isn't even hypothetical this is straight up happened to you so you know world leader comes to you for coaching would their pedigree influence how you approach it or how you or like, how do you separate their status from the human that you're trying to help? Great question. Thank you. Yeah, you're right. There's actually, I never thought of it before, but there are more than two variables, but those would be two of those for sure. There is always in coaching a intimate, personal, human, individual moment that needs to happen. And then there is the occasion, the platform, the space that you're coaching them to. But they both have to happen in parallel. So let's make it practical. You've got, um, say, the CEO of BMW that has to make a big announcement. 
and for whatever reason has major stage fright. Actually, that's very common. That's most of the situations I'm in. For a moment, I need to know his life. Like, what is it that gives him stage? And that has nothing to do with his position, right? Mm -hmm. This is something that has happened over the years, but the human that is him, what causes stage fright? How does he deal with stage fright? How does he deal with anxiety or stress in his life anyway? What are the things that don't stress him out? What are the things that calm him? Like, these are, they have nothing to do with title. They have entirely to do with him. And I have to be a good question asker and a really good listener to pull through that and to help him realize certain deep, deep, sometimes deeply hidden, embedded uh, insights that will unlock his next level. And once we do that, is then when we can connect it to the situation, the platform, the title, uh, the company that he has to do it. And we go, okay, now that we know this about you. So for example, music is his antidote, as an example then it actually becomes quite easy because then I go, okay, when in the day do you need to listen to your favorite artists or a certain genre of music to put you, is it the start of the day? Is it 10 minutes before you hit the stage? Is it while you're on stage? Because it's possible with an in-ear to just plug some music in there. When do you need this as your antidote? And, and that's when the solutions become really practical and really relevant. And then, of course, we connect it to, okay, well, that's the case. But also, as CEO, we got to work on your public speaking skills, on your body language, on your facial expressions, on your storytelling. So let's draw out 10 weeks. Uh, right now, I'm going to fix the problem that you've called me to, which is a stage fright. But there is something here that is associated with your title that is just worth investing in and building. So that's actually kind of, those are two good parts. I think there are other parts, too, in there. But those are certainly two dominant parts in how I coach uh, such people with pedigree. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like there's definitely some uh, confidentiality to this next question, but I'm going to ask it anyways just because. Uh, but we'd love to hear a case study or two. Uh, you mentioned um, a pop star that came to you, but I would really love you to take us through one of the more resonant uh, case studies or clans that you've helped from point A to point B. Yeah, so... I'm a pretty practical human being. <laughs> so when someone comes to me, usually they have some struggle or something that really frightens them that they need help with coaching. And what I ask them to do is identify three, what you call smart goals. I'm sure you've heard about this. So specific, measurable, what are the A, what's A for? S-M-A-R-T. Uh, R is realistic, T is time bound, A is ascertainable I, I haven't heard of this so i'm just trying to guess so a goal a good a smart goal should be okay. specific it should be measurable you should know when you've achieved it oh achievable, achievable. that's okay. the a right. okay. so it has to be something that that you actually can do it should be relevant so uh, relevant to your bigger goals and, and the direction you're going and it should be time bound so that's what makes a smart goal so i ask them to write three smart goals and then i put together 10 weeks to achieve that so it's super aggressive i mean 10 weeks to achieve three uh, goals is fast paced. But I like that the people I'm around are also in a, in a hurry uh, to make things happen. And so that's my approach. It's very systematic from that point of view. Where I'm very open-minded is as to what those goals actually are. So the case studies are actually very diverse. The process is similar, but the case studies are diverse. So I've helped everybody from first-time entrepreneurs figure out work-life balance, figure out leadership, figure out uh, interpersonal, you know, how to deal with conflict between founders, because these are things you're learning the very first time you're building a business. 
I've worked with CEOs, chairmen of boards who have very important announcements, product launches, uh, press to do, and they are outdated in the approach. They have a desire to be relevant. And so we're working on everything from technology that can be incorporated to new formats of storytelling to these days dealing with digital. So it's one thing to stand at a podium, but how do you translate that to an online audience? So we're working on those topics. The artists, usually for them, uh, what intrigues them about me is the ability to turn a personal brand into money, mm-hmm. right? A lot of people can figure out how to be seen online, but they don't know how to monetize that. And I'm not talking like YouTube money. I'm talking about a brand that works. So it is one thing to have 3,000 followers. It's another thing to have an audience that will actually pay you for coaching. Um, and so with these artists, you know, they've got the thing that's making the money, which is music, but it's also a platform and they can't figure out how to make money from the platform. And so we're usually doing like business conversations. And for them, it's also learning how to think like a business person because artist brains and business brains are often very different. So it's a big mindset training, hacking kind of coaching series, as well as learning the tools that are required to be a CEO, which is very different than being an artist. For athletes, Sometimes I'm meeting athletes at the end of their career, so they're thinking about how they leverage their platform uh, through investments, through uh, speaking engagements, uh, through philanthropy, yeah, as examples. Sometimes I meet them at the start of their career, and then it's usually around um, stress management, uh, dealing with pressure, negotiating contracts. So actually, the case studies, my friend, are so diverse, and I'll be honest, it's why I keep it that way. I love it. It stretches me as much as it stretches them. As soon as I go into, which I've never done, like copy paste, I'm out. I, I will never copy paste like, oh, I did this 10 week series with this person. Let me apply it to you because everybody's so individual. The situation is so individual. So the process is the same for all, but the case studies are so wide. So in my, in my estimation, um, a lot of what I hear is whether they come from uh, athletics or they come from the art world or they come from the corporate world. So there's always a, an immediate or an apparent problem that needs to be worked on. But in order to solve that problem, you have to develop the skills underneath that in order to actually be able to address that. So it's not a matter of just like putting a bandage on the issue. You really have to dig deep and transform the person so they can have the tools equipped to solve the problem. 100%. And sometimes they come to me with the problem and without the realization that they have to have some growth, personal development and growth. Um, sometimes they come to me with a problem, not realizing the problem is actually somewhere else. <laughs> and they think it's, uh, and, and that's my job as a coach. And sometimes they come to me with a problem, not realizing they need a coach. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm not saying that it's handed to me on a platter where they go, oh, damn. I woke up one day realizing I need you as a coach and here are the three things you can help me with. Sometimes it's just being a good friend, you know, they'll just be like, hey, I've got this situation. I'm like, have you ever considered doing it this way? And they go, well, that's actually a good question. I go, but forget my perspective on it. If you were this person, how would you handle it? And that's really the coaching method, right? It's not about advising where I tell them how to do it, but it's helping them discover for themselves. And I think when they see that, they go, this is the sort of conversation I'm not having because a lot of these guys have boards of advisors. They have families, they have uh, mentors, they have managers. They have a lot of people talking at them, but someone who's able to help them dig within themselves to find clarity from all the noise, that's often the missing piece. And so when I step into that role, just as a good friend, that's when they go, well, how do we have more of these conversations? 
And so part of it is also selling the coaching program. Now, it depends culturally where you are. In the U.S., I feel like there is a stronger culture to have coaches. Mm -hmm. A lot of people see that as very valuable investment. India has more of a mentoring mindset. Most younger people have an older person that happily and actively volunteers their time, their resources, and they never seek payment. It almost would be insulting uh, to ask for payment or offer payment. So it depends culturally where you are. Uh, so part of it is selling them and saying, no, this is serious to me. Like the the money is is not really uh, for resources. It's to say this is an investment. So you're going to value this time based on how much you pay. That It's mm-hmm. as simple as that. Your readiness, your willingness to do what it takes is directly connected to how much money you put into it. Uh, if you give me 10 bucks, you're going to give 10 bucks of energy. If you pay me a thousand bucks, you're going to give me a thousand bucks of energy. And if that thousand bucks hurts, you're going to work to get your money back in multiples. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part of the selling that is required as a good coach. Mm-hmm. So I I talked to a lot of people in the e-commerce space. This was closer to 2020, 2021 for a different show, a different company. I uh, hope they're doing well. And a lot of the people that I talked to, now they're, they were doing coaching specifically in the e-commerce space. So their business would scale to six figures, seven figures, and they would help others do the same. And what a lot of them found was that they couldn't justify the time to do the one-on-one coaching. So a lot, and because these are product sellers, a lot of them found that they would set up a group mastermind course, so at least they can work with multiple people at a time, or they would do an e-learning course, online university, eBooks, start setting up a, a premium video platform. So normally I don't ask a question already knowing the answer, but I think I kind of know the answer to this one. It really is just a matter of the pedigree of the people that you're working with, but at the scale you're working at, what makes one-on-one coaching still valuable to you when there are more lucrative ways that you may be able to do it? What do you think is the answer? Well, I mean, when you've worked with like the president of the U.S., I think that's pretty satisfying to say, you know what, yeah, I'm going to work with these people who run, who are major influencers on the world, right? So like, it's, I, I, don't, I don't think you can really scale it much higher than that as far as one-on-one goes. Good. I, I think that's a question that uh, that's the answer that most people guess, and it's actually not accurate. Okay, so, um, uh, let me let me share a little bit about my heart here. Mm-hmm. I, I already confess that somewhere in my late twenties, when I had achieved sufficient success, my mind shifted to impact more than finances or anything else. So that's my disclaimer. Um, I will also put out to the universe. I'm not going to lie about this that as I followed my passion, money has followed me. So it's not that I compromised on finances. That's just not the focus. Uh, And yet, as I excel and pursue my passions, people seem to really want to be a part of it. And that draws attention and money to it. Uh, So it's been a shift, but that was never the reason for stepping into this. So the reason I focus on coaching leaders is I believe that the impact is multiplied. So I can pay attention to running a workshop or selling a product online for a thousand people, right? It takes a lot of effort to do that. I have a lot of respect for people who are building these communities and able to do that. Or I can help five leaders who over their lifetime will directly employ, impact 50,000 people, right? And for me, that impact is what I measure more than how many clients I have or how much uh, I'm charging them, how much they're paying for it. 
I think that's why I, I do what I do. On my website, while you see some faces, you don't see, um, let's say, the, the the usual testimonials or case studies or you know uh, videos of these uh, converse coaching sessions with these people because actually it was never about using them for more of them. It's always been about how do I empower them to be the greatest leader they can be so that the people that they are around and people they're working with benefit. It's almost for this crowd that I will never see and, I, it, and that's okay as long as they benefit from it. So I know when I work with a president, that affects a nation. Mm -hmm. uh, I know when I work with uh, a CEO of a global company, I mean, that affects uh, tens of thousands of people in 50, 60 com uh, countries. Um, so actually for me, that's the real reason. Um, also, I'm not going to lie, there's something very fulfilling about being part of other people winning in a way that when it is a little bit more removed through digital and online, um, and I know there's good ways to do it. I mean, you and I are having a great conversation here. I feel like I actually could be sitting at a coffee table having this conversation. It can be done online, but there's something very powerful about journeying with someone who knows you, like really knows you, has you in their office or in their house, uh, understands you as a person and being part of their growth versus uh, maybe having some data points that show success, like, you know, 70% of the course completed or, you know, the certificate handed out to 400 people at the end. It's, it's a different measurement. I love counting clients as friends. I love that years after I'm done uh, coaching them, they'll be back uh, with, you know, you said something four years ago, so weirdly I opened my journal to it today and there it was and it was the exact message I needed to hear and so four years later I want to tell you I'm still at it still doing it thank you for what you did for you and that's so satisfying I love that I love that I can count them as friends and, and part of this world that we're in so that's the reason why I uh, prioritize the one-on-one -on -one coachings um, it's also a little bit more doable with my lifestyle because obviously I'm traveling so much and so that flexibility is easier to deliver one-on-one -on -one than it is group you know bookings and here's the other truth i can't figure out how to do e-commerce so it's not like i didn't try because mm -hmm. uh, i i have a great media team and we're actually very good at creating content we just can't figure out how to sell it so some of it also just comes down to like what's your forte like we're all coaches right everyone is here and i'm good at one-on-one -on -one. put me put me in a room and I will help identify someone's growth areas and I will absolutely be there every single moment they needed to take them down that road. Someone else may not have that patience to connect with someone, to hear their stories, to really delve into their personal lives. They may be better at mass. You know, they'll go, you know what? There is a need on a mass level for this. And let me create a course. And let me spend my time on ad campaigns and retargeting and, um, and figuring out, you know, geographies where this is required and localizing and like they just this is what they dream about it's what they wake up thinking about uh, and i think i wake up thinking about who's hurting who needs help who can grow a little bit who can i bless today uh it's just a slightly different focus so yeah there's someone listening who's like oh my gosh dan i'm a total e-commerce uh success story i know how to do this i do this i this is what i dream about every day talk to me I'm, I'm all ears. And one thing that I want to say as a show of appreciation to the e-commerce crowd is that there is definitely a correlation between their ability to understand those mathematics and graphs and charts and uh, as it's tied into their success. But 
that doesn't mean that they and and I'm saying this is what the conclusion you came to. I'm just saying this generally that they've lost their ability to understand the story by looking at demographics and looking at the geography and who takes what. Like if you go and you look at like jet ski sales and you can see where is the dips and where is the spikes, you go, well, it's jet ski season. You can tell a story and then each person on the jet skis are maybe they're they're single maybe they're family so so it really is about you know understanding those stories and sort of aggregating it and it, the the human element never gets removed it's just it's interesting mm-hmm. seeing how some people can they're better at observing the human element when they see it in aggregate rather than in, on that case by case basis um so i i appreciate the, the I, I really appreciate the answer uh part of me is like as soon as i started talking about like the money setup man this is actually kind of a challenging question i didn't mean it to be like that challenging but it was cool i i really appreciate what you what you went with thank you you too so and, and also your your uh, your conclusion uh is correct uh, it's uh it's a different uh observation pattern it's a different skill set and like i said i actually have a lot of respect for people who do e-commerce because it's a skill set i don't have um, and it's a skill set that I meet on the team. Um, and it's powerful. Like, I mean, you started this podcast talking about uh, what's happening in the world of TikTok today. And I love that you're paying attention. You're watching what are the mega movements, trends, topics, themes that's catching the world today. And that's super important. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I, uh, in the last hour, spend time talking to one person, <laughs> uh, hearing their story. And they're based in Monaco. And uh, trying to understand how I can help him. And that was where my attention was. So I love that we're wired differently and we're impacting and making a difference in the world of coaching differently. And that's the beauty of coaching also is so diverse. And there's probably whole new platforms and ways of doing it that we're yet to even tap into. Mm-hmm. We, we we really don't have very much time left because I know you've you, you got to go do the next thing. I know I, I'm actually kind of floored to how quickly this hour went by um but on the subject of keeping our eye on where things are going what would you hmm. uh, any ideas what the next five years is going to look like for you uh no i'm not i'm not a futurist but here's here's what i uh, i'm seeing just as a normal human being alongside everyone else who's listening and watching so i see more and more people going into the world of gig economy which means that we need to uh, offer more micro learning, quick classes to upskill, quick coaching to upskill. Uh, this is super essential to anyone in the in the gigging space. Not that the corporate world does not uh, also need training, a different form, but I do see more and more people venturing in the world of being freelancers, uh, being their own bosses, setting up their own companies, entrepreneurship in as many different forms. And their learning is primarily through coaching because the path they're on is so unique. It's something they probably cannot learn through traditional education. So to me, this is a super exciting space. Second, I think people are a lot more open-minded to how they learn. There was a time that you would have to have books and certification and diagrams. And now I think, uh, and I have found success in this as well, where you say, let me take you on a weekend. And it's an experiential learning. It's not just let's do Zoom and ask you a bunch of questions and you write down in a notebook, but let's step out of the comfort zone and do something you've never done and through that do some learning. And I think there's room and appetite for, and I see so much of this, you know, when I go to Bali or when I go to Ecuador, I go to these places a little bit off the grid. Bali's not so off the grid anymore, but when I go to these hotspots, people are 
flocking there in their thousands in order to have some self-awareness, mm-hmm. some learning, some introspection. So I think there's something there that is very powerful. Um, and if there are people that can capitalize on that, that could be huge. Besides that, I think in a world that is so quickly changing and evolving, peer-to-peer learning is so beautiful. You know, I, I love this opportunity that I had to through you and through the questions you're asking to introspect and even consider the world I'm in. Mm-hmm. This is peer-to-peer learning and, and I love it. I think there's so much value in this. So I will still have, I mean, I'm doing a PhD right now, so I, there's still space to learn from universities. There's still space to learn from advisors and chairman of boards. But I actually think coaching on a peer-to-peer level uh, is going to be more and more in demand because I think people will see that as possibly the only way to unlock to the next level. So I'm actually excited for the space. Uh, and I think there's some new tools as well. When you think about AI and what AI is offering, uh, I think there's some, I mean, from the practical, you know, for me, the part of coaching that I really dislike is writing, mm-hmm. right? I have to scribe and note, you know, what we learned and, uh, take these recordings and, and previously it was all done manually and now no way none of that's done manually right everything is handled by ai which is so fun it also means that i can spend time on other aspects um, of coaching the, besides the what i consider the admin of it so i'm also excited for the new tools that are available to us uh, of all the things that that you said the number one thing that stuck out to me is the the addition rather than the subtraction of learning that there is still people who can go what I would say the classic route, the traditional route, make it through, make it through college, university. Uh, but then there's also, as you're saying, peer to peer learning, micro learning, um, being able to pick up dense amounts of information in very short amount of time. And I think a lot of that is geographical. I think a lot of that is um, even slightly getting into we have new generations of people that are people from different parts of the world <clears throat> more like my girlfriend is half Asian, half English, very different person, right? Like there are new generations of people that are just frankly, brand new, have a new different uh, yeah. DNA, different backgrounds, different composures. And all of that is going to require new ways to learn and new ways to teach people. It's really fascinating to see where, where we're going to be going with that. But, I agree. I agree. And, you know, one of the largest labor forces entering the market is from India. Mm-hmm. India has the largest population in the world, and India also has one of the youngest populations in the world. And the hyper-focus on grades means that a lot of very smart future leaders, I mean, even now you look at countries and half of Silicon Valley are Indian CEOs. So already this is the trend, but future leaders are coming with incredible uh, intellect, but very poor soft skills. And for coaches in that space, this is huge opportunity. So, I mean, that's just one tiny opportunity and space that's out there. I mean, there's so many and many areas. You mentioned about Web3 and Metaverse, and this is some exciting new stuff that is happening. And the number of corporates, governments, policymakers, regulators, um, people in traditional ecosystems that need to and desire to learn, to understand, uh, there's opportunity. But then you get into the next step of actual like building and pioneering, um, they all need levels of coaching as well to support, assist uh, in that direction. So mm-hmm. I, I'm excited. And there's so much uh, out there for any coaches listening and maybe for whatever reason, a bit of despair about clientele and you know what's happening. Um, I would actually have the opposite view. I actually think there isn't a better time than right now to be a coach. 
the question is just about making it click for you. Mm-hmm. And to me, and I, we should probably do a whole another podcast just on this. I was like, you know, how to be effective as a coach. But the biggest thing for me is you got to differentiate. Every 13 year old on TikTok right now is a coach. And you know, it's like every doctor right now is not threatened by people with bigger degrees. They just degree, they're threatened by people online with big platforms that are spewing out fake health um, programs, right? That's their competition. Or Google, right? Uh, everyone goes to the doctor saying, I already Google my symptoms. I think I have this. That's the competition. I think for coaches, it's exactly that too. So you got to learn how to differentiate. You got to learn how to build your audience. You got to know how to connect your audience. You got to know how to sell. You got to know. So, this is, uh, to me, this is the issue. It's not about market. It's not about opportunity. It's not about possibilities. Uh, it's just about making it click for you. Well, we can continue going back and forth on this uh, for you know, for hours and hours and hours, but I, I got to get you out of here. So um, if you have any other if any other thoughts uh, are floating around in your head as a result of this conversation, I'd let you to have the floor one more time. Otherwise, feel free to let the audience know how they can uh, look you up and learn a little bit more about you. I have two final thoughts. Thought number one, the reason I came on this podcast, the reason I do what I do is to help people move forward in their lives. Uh, This is ultimately what fulfills me. So every single person that connects, DMs, um, writes an email, calls, texts, WhatsApps, I don't care how you connect with me, every single person I respond to personally, no bots, um, it's me responding because this is what I live for now. I, I live for elevating others, empowering others, and pushing people forward. I want to be number two. You be number one, I'll be number two. So that is a sincere offer. It is what I've always been doing for the last couple of years is what I'll continue doing uh, till I die. So please reach out. Do not hesitate. Uh, you You do not have to have a problem identified. You don't have to be someone incredible. You don't need to be a president. You just need to have a hunger and a passion to better yourself. And if I can help along that journey, I'm in. Second thing, and this is the last thing I want to end on. I want to thank you, Joseph, because uh, what you do is beautiful. Uh, Creating these conversations, these dialogues, these platforms to share knowledge uh, is so important. And I think sometimes a facilitator, the person who does it, uh, is lost in the noise of all the podcasts that people listen to, all the free content that's out there, but it's a labor of love. I mean, the amount of work that goes into researching, reading, listening to uh, who your speakers are, preparing the questions, and then all the post-production work uh, around the editing and publishing and posting it just so that someone can listen at a you know simple click of their finger. Uh, it's a huge labor of love. So thank you for putting in the work, putting in the hours, putting in the interest to make it really fun for me and obviously for your listeners because they are tuned in right now. Uh, so thank you, Matt. That's my final word. Well, well, well thank you as well. I uh, that, that means a lot to me. I think you know inherently that there's going to be something in it for you as well, whether that's the opportunity to think about something in a different way or to help boost somebody else's platform or whatever it is. There's there's always ways that we can think about how to make this really worth our time. And for for me, I... I, I do consider my own my own stake in this too because I get to I get to be the one that actually sits here and talk to you. So for me, that's huge. So regardless of how many or how how many listeners we get or what's the traction of it afterwards, that's all really important. I, I'm not disputing yeah. that, but for me, the fact that I actually got to sit here and and do this is is the reward as well as the work. So uh, I, I I definitely feel blessed. Uh, but with that, I gotta let you go. So everybody. Uh, who's new to the podcast this is the impactful coaching podcast if you want to reach out 
whether you'd like you feel like you would love to be on the program because you're a coach too or if you just have any feedback you can always email joseph at impactfulcoachingpodcast.com it is spelled the way you think and with that our mission on this show is to help you do with whatever it is that you aspire to do and no matter what it is we hope that through us you will be impactful while you're at it